Washington, good evening. How y'all doing? I know right now you're thinking, wait, wait, that's not Pastor Fred. So hey, it's going to be a great time tonight. My name is Steve Ruggiero. I'm going to spend a little bit of time tonight getting to know each other. Okay, but before we go into all that, let's dismiss the kids. You know, it was interesting because Ethan came up to me and he kind of gave me some directions about how to do this. You know, so these are our future leaders. So let's hear it up for our kids. This is going to be a good time tonight. I knew it was going to be a good night. I knew it was going to be a fun night. I had asked Nick. I said, make sure I have some water because I didn't want him. I thought he was going to, like, put it over here so I'd have to do this number. You guys, nobody saw Mark Rubio? That's what it was. Okay. Okay. I knew it was going to be a good night tonight. Um, again, my name is Steve. My wife and I arrived at City Life just, just under two years ago or so. And I don't know if this is your first time here. But this is home, folks. God is here. God is here. And I remember when I first got here, just so you know, if you, you feel like, well, I don't really know anybody. Well, as soon as I got here, there was a men's retreat a month or two after that. And I was like, okay, I love going on men's retreats. You know, I like getting out there. You bond with the guys. You hear some great messages. And I didn't only know like two or three people when I went. So I'm going on the men's retreat, city life, and... And I'm going to be honest with you, as much as I enjoy men's retreats, I miss my wife. Okay? It's Valentine's Day two days ago, okay? So, you know, I, I'm there and I just miss my wife. I, I, I need to see her all the time. It just makes me feel good to know that she's close. So here I am at this men's retreat, and it was a great, a great speaking, from, you know, great speak, uh, speeches from the leaders. And Kevin Tully was leading worship with Brad. It was amazing, you know. I go back to my room, and I get in, get in bed, and I'm thinking, man, I just missed my wife. So I get my cell phone, and I text her. I said, sweetie, I love you. I wish you were in this bed with me right now. And I sent it to her. Have you ever sent an email? Hey. Or a text, and you don't know if it's your subconscious picks something up or you see something out of the corner of your eye. All I knew was that something was wrong with the world. And I didn't know what it was. And I was like, what's going on? Why am I feeling all anxious? Something's wrong. So I grabbed my phone, and I'm like, wait a second. Oh, my gosh. I sent that to Kevin Tully. So, so before I could even, you know, Kevin Tully is not just a worship leader here. He's also a Newport News policeman. Who carries a gun? So, and I just told him to get in bed with me. So, so I'm frantically trying to read text. No, 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 no. And I hear, bling. <laughs> it was Kevin Tully. I was like, hey, this guy don't even know me. I'm like, oh, man. I look down. He says, I love you too. Good night. <laughs> look, I want to go on record. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let some of the women here know. Maybe you all don't know, but look, Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day is hard on men. It's like D-Day, decision day. It's tough. I mean, one right decision on Valentine's Day, and you're in for a night of love and laughter. One wrong decision. Darkness and despair. 
right? So, look, but I think one thing that we could all agree on, whether it's Valentine's Day or any other day, our decisions ultimately have the power to shape the quality of our life. You know, it was Edmund Burke who said, life is the sum total of all of our choices. And for some of us, that's not a bad thing. We look back, look where we're at today, okay. But for others, not so much. Not so much. But I want to tell you tonight, regardless of your station in life, whether you've been coming to church for 30 years or 30 minutes, we all have one thing in common. We've all done stupid stuff. We've all done stupid stuff. I could start over here on my left and I could go down the line. And there's gifts we shouldn't have bought or should have bought. Hello, Valentine's Day. You know, there's, there's partnerships we should have avoided. There's relationships that we should have ran from. There's marriages that leave us scratching our head. You know, there's things we bought and we brought it home and we're like, what is this? It doesn't even fit. There's invitations we should have turned down. There's opportunities we should have said, no, thank you. The list goes on and on and on. Look, I understand that we all can look back and see there's something like, what was I thinking? You know, isn't it funny? Because we look back now and, and we're like, was I blind? What was I thinking? And then yet when we see other people doing the same things that we were doing, it's so obvious to us. But yet when it was us, we were doing the same thing. And because of that, I believe that every one of us in here has a story or a chapter in their life that they wish that they could rewrite. Right? Don't you agree? Look, my path, my path, my journey started just like yours with a decision, one decision. When I made a decision 12 years ago to submit wholly to Christ, I went after all the information I could get my hands on. What does this mean? What does this mean? And there's an area that I focused on specifically, making smart decisions. Look, I had 30 plus years of making wrong decisions and bad decisions. I mean, I could have set up a center and charged for bad decisions. I mean, people could come to me and say, you know what, I'm really looking for a bad decision. And I would preface everything with, well, go get a bottle of tequila. <laughs> you know? It, it, <laughs> when I started going after how to make smart decisions, right, I should show you some of the books. Why Good People Mess Up. Got to read that one. I didn't know, right? Look, here's another one. How People Change. I needed to know, right? I went after it. Here's one. The Decision Book. There's 50 models in here. A SWOT analysis, hard windows. I mean, everything to say, okay, how do I make right decisions? Well, interestingly enough, right now, currently, I'm in a graduate class called, what else? What else? Decision-making for leaders. Right? So I'm thinking, this is going to be great, man. This is awesome. I'll just build upon what I already know. You know, I'll just add it to the tool belt. This is going to be great. I'm going to love this, right? Warden on making decisions. I'm like, yeah. So my professor says to me, he says, Steve, the first couple of weeks, we're going to give you a theory to help you make decisions. I was like, okay, good. I can do that. And he starts talking about this guy in the 1700s named Thomas Bayes and Bayes' theory. And I'm like, okay, well, well let me look at it. I'm going to show it to you. And this is what he told me to use when I have to make a decision. Emotions are high. Consequences. What, what? Okay, I'm going to read it to you. 
The probability that an event A occurs, given that another event B has already occurred, is equal to the probability that the event B occurs, wait, given that A has already occurred, multiplied by the probability of occurrence of event A, and divided by the probability of occurrence of event B. I kid you not, that was what they gave me. When you got to make a decision, there you go. I know it's a little wordy. There. See? Piece of cake, right? Piece of cake. Look, our motto at City Life is heaven now, heaven forever. Right? If we're to experience heaven now, then wouldn't it make sense that God would want to intervene in our life and help us make smart decisions? Wouldn't he want to, to have a relationship with us that is such that we wouldn't walk wounded the rest of our life or live with heavy regret? I mean, isn't that the kind of God he is? Well, he has. He has. And he, he's commanded us in, look at, here's our title verse for the night in Ephesians. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I want to focus tonight on primarily these six words. Not as unwise, but as wise. One of the best books I've read about making decisions was Andy Stanley's book called The Best Question Ever. I'm going to talk a little bit out of this book tonight. And Andy said in this book, that God has created for us a question that if we ask at every invitation, opportunity, or relationship, it has the potential to foolproof our life. Foolproof the way we do relationships, foolproof the way we handle our finances, foolproof the way we face morality. And the question is, and I want you to think about this, the question is, what is not the moral thing, not the ethical thing, not even the culturally relevant thing. But what is the wise thing? Not for everybody, for me. What's the wise thing for me to do, right? What's the wise thing for me to do in light of relationships and finances? And we break it down like this. Based on your past experiences, in light of your present situation and circumstances, and in light of your future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for you to do? See, there's not a cookie-cutter answer here. There's not a cookie-cutter answer here. You ask yourself that question, and it tears through all of the rationalizing that we, that we do, all of the, the self-deceit we put in place that allows us to make bad decisions. And asking what's the wise thing to do is different than asking, hey, uh, What's the Bible say to do about that? Is there a verse against that? Here's why I say that. Oftentimes, what I've found is that when somebody comes up to me, this isn't an absolute, but many times, when I have people come up to me and they'll say, hey, Steve, wh what's the Bible say about this? They're looking for a loophole. They're not looking for the Lord. Many people want to know, how close can I get to the edge and not fall over. How much of this can I enjoy and still be okay? 
hey, hey, how much righteousness do I have to practice, really, just to get in? How many times have you heard, I don't care if I have a mansion, man. I just want to get in. You know? Think about it. We want to know. We all do it. We all do it. Wonder, what, where's the line? Where's the line? And let me tell you why that's different than asking if there's a verse against it. When I go home to see my family and my old friends, and they know I'm a Christian now and I'm walking with the Lord, <clears throat> there's a question that always comes up. And they're always asking me, hey, Steve, hey, man, is the Bible against drinking? What's the Bible say about drinking? And I'm like, well, the Bible says don't get drunk, you know. I said, yeah, okay. And I'm like, look, right now in the in, in United States, you are considered intoxicated at 0.08 blood alcohol content. But you're not going to find in the Beatitudes a blood alcohol content from Jesus. Jesus is not saying based on your weight and how much alcohol you drink, it's not in there. It's not in there. So if you're old enough to drink, it's not really a scripture issue. It's a wisdom issue. It's a wisdom issue. So rather than answer their question, I, I turn it around a little bit. And I ask them, well, based on your past experiences and your family history, based on your present situation and responsibilities, based on your future hopes and dreams and who you want to be, what's the wise thing for you to do as it pertains to alcohol? Oh, I don't want to cry. I don't care about that. I just want to know, is there a verse against it? Well, it's not that, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. You have to look, where's it coming from? There's another area that comes up often. It's the area of sex, right? I work with a lot of men. Guy's been married 10, 15 years. He's divorced. Now he's dating someone. And he's like, hey, Steve, look, dude. Man, really, that whole sex thing. Really, man? I mean, come on. I, I got to wait till I get married? I mean, because I've been down that road, you know? I was married, bro. I'm 35 years old. I'm supposed to, you know, really? Does the Bible, same thing apply to me that applies to teenagers? Well, I flip it on men as well. I said, well, based on your past, your present responsibilities, and who you want to be in the future, is it wise for you to be sexually active with somebody who's not your spouse? I don't know if it's wise. I just want to know, you know. Or I'll talk to some younger folks, and they want to know, hey, how far can we go and still be virgins when we get married? I mean, how far is too far? And I remember I was sharing this message with a men's group. And I looked at all the guys and I said, I'll tell you how far too far is. Too far is how far you want to tell your soon-to-be wife that you went with somebody who's not her. Right? So when I said that, check this out. This is so cool. When I said that, the guys are like, oh, yeah, hmm, huh, right? But I didn't get the reaction I was expecting. 
you know? Because I think in their heads, they're like, yeah, you know, I can just tell them, hey, look, you know, we're going to get married, but I had a crazy past. So, so they kind of, in their head, they worked their way through that. <laughs> so I changed it again. And I said, okay, let me change this up for you. How far do you want your soon-to-be wife to say she went with a guy who's not you? And they were all like, oh, no. <laughs> well, I don't want to know that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I mean, come on. I said, well, there, there's your line. Look, I know some of this can be challenging stuff. I know. But I was told a long time ago, if you want to keep people's attention in church, start talking about drinking and sex. <laughs> Look, <laughs> here's my point. Nobody plans on messing up their life. Nobody gets married so they can have an affair. Nobody starts taking drugs with hope that someday I'll get to spend six months in rehab. Nobody walks into a bar and says, hey, bartender, five shots of Jack Daniels, keep them coming every 15, 20 minutes because, man, I am hoping on the way home I get a DUI. I hope Tully pulls up behind me, pulls me right over and gives me a DUI because just keep them coming. It doesn't work like that. But here's, a, here's the issue. Nobody plans not to either. Nobody plans not to. And you don't plan not to by wondering how close you can get to the line. Look, the last two weeks, we were focusing out. We were talking about missions. Tonight, I want God, with his spirit, to focus in. I want him to examine our hearts. So when I talk about morality issues, drinking, sex, I usually get three responses from people. The first one is, <laughs> dude, dude, relax. Take it, take it down a notch, okay? No one's going to get pregnant, man. It's one date. It's one drink. Man, you are out of touch, bro. Don't you know? This is, we're talking, whatever that means. You know? I got this. I can handle this. It's okay. Jeez, man. Or I get the second response. Mm-hmm. Mm, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But I don't really care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I, you know, I really don't want to know if there's a scripture against it, and I don't want to hear your story. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to drive home, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Because I really don't care. And then there's a third response. Probably not many of these people in here, you know, they don't normally come to church, especially when it's snowing. But when you talk to them about it, oh, they know the difference between right or wrong, but they come at you like, you know what? That's just what I would expect from one of you Christians. You're so narrow-minded. You're trying to push your views and your values on our society. Why don't you keep your discriminatory views to yourself? Just keep them. I don't want to hear it. Here's the cool thing. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived next to our Lord, he defines in the book of Proverbs these three types of people in great detail. And if you're not going to ask yourself, follow me here, if you're not going to ask yourself, what's the wise thing for me to do, 
then you're going to find yourself in one of these three chairs tonight. Solomon defines him as the naive. Some translations call it simple. We'll say the naive, the fool, and the scoffer. The naive, the fool, and the scoffer. And we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight just talking about these three folks real quick, okay? And at the end of the night, I'm going to ask you, which chair are you sitting in? Which chair are you sitting in? And you know, you can usually tell by the eyes. Check this out. If you sit in this chair, as I'm talking and I'm watching, <laughs> if you sit in this chair, you'll probably catch my eyes every now and then, but you'll look around. You might check your phone. You'll be like, man, it's dark in here. That's a black ceiling, you know, because it doesn't pertain to you. This stuff doesn't apply to you because you've got this. If you sit in the second chair, your eyebrows will go up like, oh, you might nudge someone. That's pretty good, right? That's pretty good. See, you might take a couple notes. <laughs> Whoa. But you know, and I know, that you're going to walk out of here. And you're going to do the exact same thing you did when you walked in. If you sit in this chair, this one's a little funnier. Because you might even hear this one. It's one of these guys. It's the eye roll. This guy, a couple sighs. And then you're going to preach your family a sermon on the way home, trying to undo everything that God has been trying to do tonight. Let me make a point. Every one of us have sat in these chairs. Every one of us. Some of us still are. Some of us still have many of the fibers in us from one of these three chairs. I want to read to you. We're going to talk about the naive. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Proverbs chapter 7. So we're going to talk about the naive. Before we read that, like I said earlier, the naive, he thinks I'm overreacting. He thinks I'm out of touch. He thinks, you know, Steve, you, you just don't understand what it's like today. You know, you, you, you take it down a notch. Take it easy. If you're in middle school, high school, Freshman in college, just joined the military, just got married, just had kids, just got divorced. I mean, being naive's got a bad rap. People think it's a put down. See, because nobody, I'm not going to walk up to you and say, hey, I'm Steve, I'm 47, I'm married, I got two kids, got a grandkid, I'm really naive. You know, because once you realize there's an area of where you're naive, you learn, and you're not naive there anymore. You can only have so much experience. You know, and being naive is lacking judgment because you lack experience in that area. It's not a put down. But listen how Proverbs describes the naive as a wise person is watching the naive. Chapter 7, verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. 
I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, near, not to her house, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. We're not going to go through the whole proverb. It gets a little PG-13. Check it out when you get home. Don't read the rest of it now. I'm just going to skip forward to, to uh, 20, 22. Long story short, there's an adulteress, lures him in. He falls. And listen what it says. All at once, in verse 22, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his very life. In any area, in any arena where you lack experience, you're naive. It's the reason why credit card companies send so many credit card applications to freshmen and kids in college because you just don't know. Most people in their first couple years in college or joining the military, they, they haven't had to file bankruptcy. They, first year of college, you probably haven't foreclosed on a home. You don't know what it's like to live day to day with a weight of $40,000 of debt hanging over you and pressing down. That's why young people smoke. See, in, in, the, in their circles, it just seems right. It seems cool. You know why I know that? Because I thought it was cool when I did it. I look at them now, I'm like, oh, man, look how naive. I know you think it looks cool because I thought I looked cool. But at 14, 15 years old, smoking a cigarette, you probably haven't had to stand by your mother's bedside as she died of lung cancer. You probably haven't coughed up a piece of your own lung. You just don't know yet. It's like sex. You think, well, as long as nobody gets sick or pregnant, I'm fine. Yeah, and you would. Because you haven't had to stand there and have your 13-year-old daughter ask you, Mom, Dad, what'd you guys do? Were you pure? You haven't had to do that. You know what the Bible says the solution is for the naive? The solution for the naive is to say to your heavenly father, even if I don't know everything, if I don't understand, and there's a lot of things I'm not even sure I agree with, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. And if I'm the only one standing, so be it. Because I believe you're smarter than me. If you pray that prayer with authenticity, God will come into your life and he will tutor you. He will coach you. He'll protect you. He'll preserve you. He will come like that. But if you sit here and you don't listen, the Bible says that your lack of judgment can kill you emotionally, morally, spiritually, and physically. Let's talk about the second chair. 
Let's talk about this chair. You know what? I'm going to sit here because this chair was made for me. I've spent decades sitting in this chair. See, this guy, he knows the difference between right or wrong. He just doesn't care. So you'll have people say, hey, man, don't you know that if you keep doing what you're doing, your wife is going to leave? Well, maybe. Maybe. Don't you know that if you keep making these foolish decisions, that the consequences is going to destroy the relationship with your children? Yeah, maybe. I guess I'll deal with it when it gets here. We'll see. Proverbs 10.23 says, The fool finds pleasure in evil conduct. It's fun. It's exciting. It's exciting to them. They enjoy the rush that it brings. You know, if you try to discipline the fool, he's going to ignore you. If you try to warn them, he's going to ignore you. See, because there's no new information for the fool. I know, I know, I know. I just don't care. There's a flip side to foolishness that I didn't get as I was doing my studies that a friend of mine told me as I was talking to him about this message. He said, you know what? There's another side of that foolish coin. And he said, I know because it was me. Because I stood there and I wasn't saying, I don't care. I don't care. See, I was saying, I do care. I hear you. Yeah. Okay. And then he would go back and do the same thing over again. It's foolishness. Self-deceit. His foolishness prevented him from putting boundaries in place to keep him from making those kind of decisions. You know what the Bible says the solution is for the fool? The Bible says a fool doesn't change until they begin to feel the full weight of their consequences. In fact, Proverbs even says it takes the blows to the back of a fool to get their attention. The Bible says the fool has to learn the hard way when the fun isn't fun anymore. When it's in your face. But here's, here's the worst part of foolishness. Proverbs 13.20 says, a companion of fools suffers harm. That's the wife. It's the husband. It's the kids. It's your church family. It's your friends. All of those people surrounded around the fool are hurt by their actions. So I've sat with many a fool, and they've said, dude, it's not, I'm not hurting anybody, it's just me. You don't live in a vacuum. 
You don't. Or I've heard, you know what, let them deal for them, fight for themselves. I had to fight my way. That's cowardice. It's cowardice. You're not just hurting yourself. Now, check this out. Maybe this isn't you in every area of your life. Okay? Maybe your whole, yeah, you're not a fool across the board. But maybe it's in a certain area of your life. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's the way you manage your money. Maybe it's in the way you parent your kids. It doesn't have to be across the board. It could be issue-specific where the foolishness happens. I want to read to you Psalm 107, verses 17 to 20. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them. And listen, this is the word. He rescued them from the grave. Cry to him. He will rescue you. You don't have to wait to feel the weight. Cry out and he will rescue you from the grave. From the grave. He's talking about a third chair. This is the scoffer. Some translations say mocker. Now, like the fool, he knows the difference between right and wrong. But if you try to correct him, you're going to have a fight on your hands. He's going to come out and attack all of the values, all of your principles, all of the right standing, you're righteous, you're trying to do what's right. This guy or girl will come at you and try to tear you down with the words. Somehow or another, the scoffer, through their success or their money or their power, They've positioned themselves in a place where somehow in their minds they see themselves as judge and jury over everyone else's life. See, there was somebody in my family. He's much better now. Oh, man. We, we could have held hands because if I was here, he was here. And, and the scoffer, you, you never know. You, it's like they keep you on pins and needles. You don't know what you're going to say, and they're going to lash out at you. So when this individual used to come visit us, okay, I'll tell you, it was my dad. So when my dad would come visit us, if you're going to get the iPad later, hey, Dad, I love you. Hey, you're not this guy anymore. But he would, uh, <laughs> you know, you was really careful what you said about Christianity and God, you know. So I found myself, oh, man, we got to pray at dinner. I hope he doesn't go off. Oh, no. Now, remember that woman I mentioned earlier that I really love and I love to be with? <laughs> she would be the first one to say, Dad, what you need is to find out who Jesus is. Oh, don't you, oh, don't you tell me you talk to God? Or what do you yeah, Dad, I talk to God. Courage, Okay. Courage, leading the way. Okay, you're going in. You're going into the fight with my dad. Let me get there. <laughs> you know, 
And over time, over time, he warmed up to it. Where we can now talk about the Lord. We can talk about it. So don't run from the scoffer. Okay? Don't let their intimidation push you away. See, here's the thing. If this person is, is clueless and this person could care less, this person is critical. And you know what the Bible says the solution is for the scoffer? The Bible says to drive them from your midst. That's sad. That's sad. He says there's no, there's no cure. Listen, Proverbs 4, 14, 6 says there's no cure for the mocker or the scoffer. You can't convince them. It's like they make it their mission in life to disprove you. So what am I saying? What am I saying? There's no grace? I'm saying there's no grace for these people? That's not what I'm saying at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that when you sit in these chairs, you don't want grace. You don't recognize it. You've pushed it away for so long, you don't even want to hear it anymore. But here's the real tragedy. The writer of Proverbs says that eventually, eventually every one of these people, the naive is going to get to a place where they realize, I don't know everything. I don't have control. And the fool is going to say, you know what? This is starting to hurt. This isn't fun anymore. And the scoffer is going to find himself or herself all alone. And somehow their money may have ran out or they get to a place where they need help. And every one of these people are going to look and need help. And you know what the Bible says? Wisdom won't be found. Wisdom won't be found. Now, that's not because of God's edict or his law or something like that. It's because, excuse me, it's because they haven't heard it in so long. They haven't prayed sincerely in so long or, or listened with humility in so long that when they do hear it, they don't recognize it. They don't recognize it. Can I have the worship team come on up? Maybe I haven't explained it, you know, as well as I could have. But I want you to know that tonight, God's Spirit wants to communicate to your heart the area that is keeping you from experiencing everything he has planned for you. When I came by here earlier today, I was... I was doing some praying, you know, just asking, praying over the place. God, please, please let your message land tonight. So I started at that back door, the furthest door to this place. And that's why I love what David said earlier. And I counted the steps. 
And it was 68 steps to, from that furthest door straight in from the parking lot to here. 68 steps. And every step you take from that parking lot to this seat, to this altar, is a decision. Is a decision. And I believe that God is saying some of you are stopping short from coming all the way in. All the way in. I'm going to read to you Proverbs, first chapter. And I want you to hear the Spirit of the Lord speaking. I want you to hear wisdom speaking. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. And on top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. It's not God laughing. It's the nature of wisdom. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since why? They hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. Listen to this last part. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me, whoever listens to me, will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. What chair are you sitting in tonight? What chair are you in? Let me tell you, if you find the strength with God to get out of one of those chairs, you'll be the exception to the rule. The exception. The very first step in standing, the very first step, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Amplified says, the reverent and worshipful, worshipful fear of the Lord is the beginning and the principle and the choice part of knowledge. It's starting point in its essence. God says, if you ask me, I will show up. Let's stand up and let's worship. Worship the Lord and listen for his voice.